Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. As you know, I'm a psychologist who loves to consider all the other factors about us as people that may be playing into our mental health. You know, I resist diagnostic inflation and the tendency to label everything. I'm concerned that when we do so, we may live up to that label. We may box ourselves in. I find that that's limiting and disempowered. So when I come across someone who's like-minded and offering another model, another methodology for mental and emotional well-being, I get excited and invite her on the program. Recently, I met Dr. Diana Lipford. She's a naturopath, and I began to understand that the naturopathic philosophy concerning health and well-being is very much in line with my own philosophy on health and well-being. Diana treats all kinds of conditions, and I asked her if she would speak specifically to depression and anxiety and what a naturopath can offer that might be different from the prevailing psychological and psychiatric understandings of these conditions. Here's a little bit more about Dr. Diana Lipford. Dr. Diana Lipford is a double board certified naturopath, master herbalist, and integrative functional health practitioner in Northern Indiana. She specializes in clinical herbalism, orthomolecular medicine, bioregulatory medicine, homeopathy, functional medicine, and advanced nutrition. She's passionate about root cause medicine and freeing people from pharmaceuticals of all kinds. My interview with Dr. Diana Lipford, right after this. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black, Don't Wear White, till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Dr. Diana Lipford, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much for having me on. We met, as I have met so many of my guests, through Instagram. And I was really intrigued by your approach because it's it's something with which I resonate deeply and has become even more of a passion point of mine over the last year and a half, which we'll get into in a moment. But my concern, and my listeners know this, as a psychologist for these many years, early on in my career, Prozac had just dropped and right. it was the miracle drug. And even at that point, I had my master's in clinical psych. I didn't have my doctorate yet. So I was trained to be a clinician. And we were going to workshops and seminars and everyone was excited. It was the miracle drug. It was going to change depression as we know it. And a book called Listening to Prozac came out. And I got caught up as well, like, oh my gosh, 
But I was blessed to have a father who didn't (laughs) drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. He didn't fall for such propaganda. He was not a hippie. He wasn't the baby boomer generation. He was actually the generation before that. But he was ahead of his time in the sense that he was like in the 70s. We were putting wheat germ on our cereal and we had had no cold medicine in the house. It was always two vitamin C and a panathletic acid. That's what you take if you have a cold. And so I was kind of indoctrinated in a way that I didn't know would become so influential in my life and my practice and my philosophy as a psychologist. So shortly after that listening to Prozac book came out, there was another book, a a rebuttal by Dr. Peter Bregan called Talking Back to Prozac. I have the hard copy of that book I bought as a young clinician in my early 20s, and I still have it. I pulled it out the other day just to revisit it. It was fundamental in basically marrying the philosophy I had internalized from my father with my professional understanding of what it means to be a psychologist. What does it mean to consider someone mentally, psychiatrically ill? And Dr. Bregan was not having it. He too was concerned with big establishment, big pharma, and that has woven its way into my entire career. So when I came across your work, it was a natural <laughs> fit. So now that I've had this long, lengthy preamble, let the listeners know about your path and your professional work as a naturopath. Sure. Like many people in my field, I found my way into natural medicine when I myself found healing after many years of suffering from autoimmune disease Uh, rheumatoid arthritis, interstitial cystitis, fibromyalgia. And not only did I not get relief from allopathy or Western medicine, but I had serious issues from the pharmaceuticals. When I was in an accident in 2012, I finally was diagnosed with the rheumatoid arthritis, which I had suffered from since I was in, in my teenage years. And at that point, I pointedly asked the doctor, what can you do for me other than give me pills? And she looked at me like I had grown another head, like I was (laughs) crazy. And I said to her, never mind, I will figure it out myself. And I did. I was led to a man who introduced me to herbs and nutrition. And I remember sitting in his office thinking, this can't help me. This cannot help me. Right. I, you know, I kept trying to explain to him, but you don't understand the pain I'm in. You don't understand the brain fog that I have or the fatigue that I have. At that time, I was teaching school and I was uh, getting up and getting my children ready for school and going to school and teaching all day and coming home and going directly to bed and feeling like I was a failure as a parent because I didn't have anything left to give. So, I decided, you know, what do I have to lose? And I would put myself under this man's instruction. And I'm telling you that within 10 days, he introduced me to the idea of gut health and liver health and those being uh, the root cause for my problems. And the change was so drastic in such a short amount of time that I was just amazed. And at that point, I knew I wanted to be able to help other people in the same manner because so many people I knew were suffering from debilitating autoimmune issues and chronic pain, and they were not finding any relief with pharmaceuticals. And not only were they not finding relief with the pharmaceuticals, but they 
ended up, you know, it was a snowball effect. They end up taking this medication and then this medication to battle the side effects from this medication. And all the while, they're causing more harm to their body um, in terms of gut health and liver health. And it just, you know, I just feel like I had been given this key Mm. and I wanted to, I wanted to shout out to the world, Hey, what we're doing, this is not helping us, but I, I have something that can help. So, you know, I started out with a degree in integrative health sciences with certificates in herbalism and as a holistic health practitioner while going to school for naturopathic medicine. And my goal has always been to help. Um, I take the first do no harm very seriously. My husband is a pastor and we have a dear evangelist friend who has often said, if I can't help, I won't hurt. And we have kind of adopted that same motto. You know, hopefully I can help you, but if I cannot help you, I will not further cause you harm by giving you things that could potentially harm you. It's always so powerful when our path, and I'm a Christian, so I, to me, this is, God takes our mess and it becomes our message. And I didn't coin Absolutely. that as clever, but it's not mine. But I, I think it's, it's, we're designed that way to go through what we go through so that then we can have that conviction of our position because we know you're like, I went through it. I literally thought this person could not help me. Right. And yet something in you also didn't want to go the pill route. And that is something that I think when you enter the space that you're in and that I'm in, people get really, they look at us sideways. They think we're cracks. And I understand it that they are, I mean, look at the TV commercials. Mm -hmm. Every single one is about a new, there have been some whistleblowers that talk about big pharma and you create the ill to peddle the pill. That is a saying that happens at these conventions, make up a disease and sell someone a pill. And I'm not sure how these people sleep at night. I get very passionate. You can tell I'm already starting to get charged up because I don't understand, like you said, the Hippocratic oath, do no harm to, to randomly just give people, oh, here's a sample of this and that and the other. And of course, that's because the pharmaceutical rep showed up at the office right. and they whined and dined them. And I know they've they've cracked down on some of that, the entertaining piece that keeps big pharma and the medical professionals in bed with each other, right. such that, like you said, like with that initial physician, you said, what What about something other than the pill? They had nothing for you. No idea. Right. Absolutely. None whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's so massive and complex. And then I don't, I don't blame people for resisting when someone like you says, hey, I have another option. Or someone like me says, you know, maybe depression right now is actually just a re- realistic response to the mm-hmm. grief you're experiencing. Why would we think that you should pop a pill to not feel the right. God-given emotions? You're not a robot. Right. So I understand where people are. It is a little frustrating. How, how do you think you came to have that pivotal moment where you said to yourself and to that physician, I, anything else other than a pill? Well, because I had already suffered from pharmaceutical use, right. the side effects were horrible. And I started experiencing symptoms in my late teenage years. My family owned crop dusting airports, and I was a foot flagger in the summer for the crop dusters. And I was exposed to massive amounts of pesticides. Well, at that same time, I started experiencing debilitating migraines. And 
the answer for that was a pill and it was a pain pill and it was a narcotic. And these things, you know, they never resolved the issue. They masked the issue. Mm -hmm. And then uh, later on in the late 90s and the early 2000s, we saw what happened with the opioid epidemic. And as I said, my husband is a pastor and we have a ministry where we uh, help addicts. And we have founded something called the Joshua Project. And this is used as a holistic uh, way to help people detox. And then we find uh, facilities for them to go to. But I have personally had family members who have overdosed on Oxycontin and fentanyl and lost their lives to this. So I am very passionate about this. When somebody said to me, I don't remember who it was, well, you sound like you have an ax to grind with the pharmaceutical companies. I do. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yeah, got that right. (laughs) Yes. And it, it goes, listen, I have a lot of respect for acute medicine, right? I believe it saves lives. But but like you said, we've gotten into this pill for every ill way and they're peddling this to people. I mean, you want to talk about drug pushers. Yep. And unfortunately, these medical doctors are not allowed to think outside of the box at all. They they have to practice the way they're told to practice. And people aren't getting better. And the reason why they're not getting better is because the root cause of whatever this is, and in this instance, we're talking about depression and anxiety, the root cause is never addressed. So these medications like Prozac or Zoloft or Paxil, these act as band-aids and not without harmful side effects. Exactly. And that's the exact analogy I've used over the years. We don't put a Band-Aid over a tumor. Exactly. That does nothing. And I want to, at this point, mention that this, this is not just a psychologist and a naturopath. This is also coming, there are voices now, even in the more medical side of mental health. So for example, I had Dr. Alan Francis, who wrote the book, Saving Normal, an insider's revolt against out-of-control psychiatric diagnosis, DSM-5, big pharma, and the medicalization of ordinary life to medicalize every nuance of our emotional state. I had him on the program. I was thrilled, honored, because Again, it's one thing for us on this side of things, but for a psychiatrist, and so for people, sometimes still, you know, psychologist versus psychiatrist is still confusing to some. So a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. He's gone through all the medical typical training, right. all the internships, the residencies, and then he focuses on the mental concerns, right? And so they are, by virtue of being in the medical field, they are more likely in general to medicalize, yes. to, to see a sick versus well model, as opposed to some of the more nuance that we're speaking to. He is also outraged. There are people waking up, even in the more traditional camp of that big medicine, big pharma. I'm so pleased that they are because their voice will be heard in a way that ours isn't because they do have those connections and those relationships with that more traditional Western model of medicine and treatment. So if anyone wants to hear that episode, check back. It's episode 22. 
But my point is, and, and this is so cynical. And like your friend said, sounds like you have an ax to grind. And I don't want to be a cynical person. I was not raised to be a cynical person. But we have to be savvy and yep. wise when we wise. are dealing with people's mm-hmm. emotional, mental, and physical health. We only get one body and one mind. What are we going to do with it, right? So Absolutely. I have to be critical and savvy. And there's a business model at work here. If they keep us ill, they make Money. Money. I'm not trying to be cynical. I know, like to your point, there acute medicine saves lives every day. If I get in a car wreck, I want to go to the regular emergency room, right? right? I'm not going to an herbalist at that moment. But for something chronic, long-term, emotional, I want to consider all the other facets that we have been raised to dismiss, like our nutrition, like our activity, like sunlight, like getting outside in fresh air. Let's focus in on depression and anxiety because I'm sure you have patients come to you and I wonder, do they fully understand when they come to you that they're going to get a different approach? How does that work when you see a patient who's suffering? So... In naturopathy and functional medicine, we look at the body as an integrated whole with all parts working together and influencing one another. You know, so if you understand human physiology, it doesn't make sense to isolate and treat just one part of the body, such as the brain in depression, and without including the overall health of the body. So when people come to me, I'm not sure that they know right away that yes, we are going to address your mental health, but we are going to address your physical health and your spiritual health as well. Because the goal is to always get to the root cause of the depression. We can address symptoms while focusing on the reason why you're experiencing the depression in the first place. And sometimes many people find themselves in chronic depression after let's say maybe a period of mourning, they've lost a loved one, or they've gone through a bad divorce or some sort of relationship breakup, right? And these, they start out with just normal going through your mourning, but somehow they end up in this chronic depressive state uh, with anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with all of the studies that have been done in the recent years, what we're finding is that depression is intimately related to brain inflammation. And, you know, so many factors play into this. Blood sugar imbalances, hormone imbalances, immune dysregulation, and primarily gut health and gut microbiome dysfunctions, which are major contributors. And all of these can lead to inflammation in the body, including inflammation in the brain. And so if you started out where maybe you had this period of mourning, you lost someone, what happens after that, right? We know that I lost my own mother when I was an early adult. I didn't take care of myself afterwards. Mm -hmm. I didn't eat right. I didn't sleep well. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't even hydrating. I wasn't caring for myself. And I believe that that contributed to a great depression that I went into after, you know, several months of mourning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So finding the source of the inflammation and trying to reduce the inflammation, uh, which in turn will encourage proper neurotransmitter production and activity in the brain. 
you know, we know brain inflammation has been shown to sabotage the synthesis of dopamine and serotonin. So the two transmitters that are most associated with depression. So there's always an underlying factor here. And when people come to me for this, you know, they say, hey, what kind of herbs can I take for being depressed or being anxious? And sometimes I think they may be a little put off by, you know, I, I really don't feel like it's that simple. Yes, we can treat your symptoms, but we really have to get to the root of what's going on here. Yes. And let's focus on the neurotransmitters because of course, again, pharmaceutical companies, they market and we are one of only two Western countries that's, yes. that allows direct to consumer marketing. And I don't know if most people are aware of that. So for the listener who's thinking, oh yeah, you turn on the TV and then there's the pill for shaky mm -hmm. leg syndrome, or if your Prozac isn't working, take Abilify as your right. chaser drug. And to my mind, I'm like, your Prozac's not working because it doesn't work but now we're going to give you an right. antipsychotic. People don't know that Abilify is an antipsychotic. If they knew, they right. probably wouldn't think it would be a right. great idea to take that for depression. But so we now live in an era where people know what a neurotransmitter is because they have this vernacular because it behooves the pharmaceutical companies to convince us all that we have a chemical exactly. imbalance. And I want to focus on this because right. it's not true. The way that an SSRI works is it works at the synaptic level. So it's preventing the mm -hmm. serotonin from being reuptaken into prior neuron in the neural pathway, which gets maybe unnecessarily complex for our purposes. But what I want to reiterate is that They've given us enough information to go, well, I must have right. a chemical imbalance. And yet we have no proof of that. There's no evidence that Prozac actually elevates this. It keeps the, the neurotransmitter in the synapse, which helps a boost of emotion to a degree. But again, I want to say here, so many of the studies that show a, a positive effect in your mood from Prozac and other SSRIs are yes. funded by pharmaceutical companies. Oftentimes they find if they do a little bit more digging in meta-analyses that there's probably a placebo effect because the minute I start taking this thing, I'm telling exactly. myself I'm going to feel better. We all know the power of the mind. What I wasn't aware of is this inflammation piece. So can you speak a little bit more about that? Because I think that's really fascinating. I'd like to learn more. So our neurotransmitters, they're chemicals that are in the brain and they influence our mood. And when the levels of certain neurotransmitters are high or low, it contributes or aggravates uh, the way we feel. So for instance, it would be really hard to not feel anxious if your serotonin and your GABA levels are low and your PEA and epinephrine and norepinephrine and uh, glutamate levels were high. I mean, so as hard as you might want to avoid those anxious feelings, they're, they're going to creep in. And many times these neurotransmitter um, abnormalities are directly related to vitamin and mineral deficiencies, which mm -hmm. contributes to the inflammation. So vitamin deficiencies can lead to numerous degenerative diseases. Severe deficiencies in B vitamins, for example, and they've been shown to have profound effects on the brain. The effects, you know, impaired memory, um, high levels of anxiety, confusion, irritability, depression, just inhibited mental performance. So we know that dopamine is your pleasure and reward transmitter, and serotonin is like the joy and well-being transmitter. And when we, we have, let's say, let's use their term, right, imbalances uh, of these, we're going to experience symptoms of depression and anxiety. But your brain is predominantly made up of neurons and glia cells. And, you know, these facilitate healthy neuron function, responding to foreign invaders, cleaning up plaque and debris. You know, it's like the immune cells in the brain. 
but they don't have an off switch like the body's immune cells. So when they're triggered, like by a brain injury or an inflammatory response, it could be inflammatory food, which is a lot of time the issue, unstable blood sugar, chronic infections, poor gut health, infectious bacteria in the gut, chronic stress, alcohol abuse. They become overactivated kind of in this effort to protect the brain. And unfortunately, they don't necessarily turn off afterwards. And they stay in this primed or overactive state. And, you know, they, they constantly can be triggered by poor dietary and lifestyle choices. So this is what causes brain inflammation and then subsequently depression or anxiety. And then, you know, we can directly attribute this as well to inflammation in the gut, poor gut health, intestinal permeability, or the term leaky gut. And I want to remind listeners here, because this is something that I, so pulling it back to my story, which my listeners are aware of, I started looking at the gut phenomenon, so to speak, back when I ended up calling off my first engagement and this sense of trust your gut, right? Which is what we hear from, we heard from our grandmother our whole life. And that's hard for someone who's trained as a scientist, which I'm a social scientist, but it's still like, just trust your gut. Isn't that kind of woo woo? Well, what you're speaking to here, it all aligns because our central nervous system includes our brain down our spinal cord and into our gut. And everyone can resonate with this. When you get nervous, where do you feel the butterflies? In Mm -hmm. your stomach. So for you to say that someone's depression and anxiety could be related to their gut environment, that is completely scientific and consistent. In fact, when I was doing that research, trying to understand my own, gosh, my gut was telling me it was wrong. And I finally trusted my gut that there are scientists now talking about the gut as being the second brain. They're calling it that the second brain. And there are neurotransmitters in the gut as well. Yes, absolutely. And we're uh, talking about things like serotonin being housed in the gut, you know, and when we talk about inflammation, you can be in an inflamed state and a stressed state in your body and not necessarily feel pain from the inflammation. You know, inflammation is a normal response to your body. Mm-hmm. It's it's a response to injury, toxins, infections. It has regenerative purpose to it, but it's mm-hmm. it should be short-lived. And it becomes a problem when like diet and lifestyle, they're powerful regulators. You know, if if your diet and your lifestyle is continuing to contribute to inflammation, we're going to end up in trouble here. You know, one of the primary networks for stress and everything, we have the HPA axis, right? Which is the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. And um, this is responsible for our output of cortisol, which will keep us in that fight or flight state. And when we're in an inflamed state, a lot of times we have excess amounts of cortisol in the body. And all of these things, there's so many contributing factors to gut health. And then, you know, what happens after we end up with intestinal permeability, we end up with issues with hormone imbalances, sugar imbalances, excessive cortisol, adrenal fatigue. Um, We end up with liver problems because our liver is overtaxed, trying to clear toxins out of the body. We end up with a lot of oxidative damage to the body, you know, leaky gut lends to thyroid dysfunction. 
So, I mean, we have, we have opened up this whole realm of possibilities of things to go wrong. They're all tied to gut health and depression and anxiety is just one of those. So when a patient comes to you, there's so much of, again, because they have been raised and trained to believe, well, okay, if I go to a naturopath, I'll still get a pill. It'll just be an herb, <laughs> right? They still want that kind of quick fix mentality because that's how we've been raised. We've been conditioned to believe that our body is doing something wrong. And what you're saying, which is the reframe that I've been embracing for 20 years now, again, based on my father's way of, of viewing the world and his philosophy and passing that on to my brothers and me and my mother. And then, of course, based on my own work and pushing back against some of these more pervasive understandings of the way our mind and our bodies work, the reframe for me is that my body knows what to do. So as you pointed out, that inflammation is actually corrective and it's it's what the body needs to do to heal. It's just that because I keep bombarding my body with the toxins and with too much sugar, so my body is in a constant state of what should be an acute state of just taking care of this condition and then moving on. But my lifestyle, my diet is not permitting my body to do what it is designed And I'm glad that you brought that up where people have this notion that if I go to an herbalist or a naturalist or a naturopath, I'm just going to get an herb or a nutraceutical to replace the pharmaceutical. That's not the way I work. I mean, it may be the way uh, some other naturopaths or herbalists work, but I don't work like that. To me, that is practicing green medicine. So all Mm. you're doing in that instance is you are just replacing the pharmaceuticals with the herbs or the nutraceuticals and still not addressing root cause. And not only that, but the ideal situation would be to, if we're addressing, you know, vitamin deficiencies, nutritional deficiencies, we want to get those things from our food first. And we want food and exercise and and outdoor time and time in the sun to come first. And then if you still need to uh, replace maybe supplement with omegas or magnesium or vitamin D3, which are, you know, usually three three areas where people are most deficient when it comes to depression and anxiety, um, then you can supplement afterwards. Or you can try and address symptoms temporarily with herbs while you're addressing root cause. So the goal is not to just replace your depression medication with St. John's wort or something else right, uh, that's right. green. The, the goal is to actually get in the body and resolve the inflammation and resolve the depression and the anxiety where it doesn't exist anymore. Do you then work hand in hand with a psychologist? Because of course, my approach is to get into the mindset, the thoughts. I'm very cognitive in my orientation. I want to look at a couple of things. I'm so wary of of diagnosing anyway and, and pathologizing everything as we've been speaking to extensively today. But I will look at someone who is depressed and I'm thinking, well, what are you telling yourself all day? What thoughts are fueling your feelings? And then what sorts of relationship realities? You know, there's this quote that came out and I I posted something similar one time. I said, do you have a mental health issue or relationship right. health issue? You know, sometimes someone's depressed or anxious because they're in a yes. pretty relationship or they're allowing themselves to be, their boundaries to be violated with family members. And, and so this has nothing to do with any kind of medical reality or physiological reality even. It, it just has to do with the fact that they're not 
standing up for themselves or they're letting some, themselves be mistreated. And there's a part of them that's recoiling and feeling sad and anxious because they know down deep that they're being mistreated. So there's so, yeah. it's just so holistic. Yeah. That's why the simplistic approach frustrates me that it's the main model right. right now. So you start with, let's look at your lifestyle. Let's make sure that you are getting your, your heart rate elevated or getting outside. What kind of is the approach for someone who comes to you and they're ready to do the green medicine, as you said, they're ready. Okay. Give me my St. John's wort. I'll wean off my Prozac and then, uh, then I'll be good. And you're going to say, well, no, we're going to take a much more comprehensive and holistic look at this. As I said in the beginning, we do want to look at things like mental health and spiritual health. We cannot leave those out. So encouraging someone to um, seek counseling if they need counseling, um, to seek spiritual guidance if they need spiritual guidance, those other aspects of whole health cannot be left out. I have seen people who had issues who went um, to an herbalist or a naturopath and uh, their physiological health was the only thing addressed and they did not get healing. Mm. Mm-hmm. They it, it just didn't come for them like it came for someone else. Um, your mental state of mind is so important. Your spiritual, your spiritual health is so important that cannot be neglected. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so those things are, are definitely not neglected. We, we have to look at the person as a whole. And I think that most holistic practitioners, whether they're an herbalist or a naturopath or whatever, they do consider the whole whole health. We can look at nutrient deficiencies, for example, all day long, right? I can let I can run blood work and, you know, say, okay, well, you're deficient in vitamin D or magnesium or B vitamins or omegas or whatever. And we can address diet and lifestyle. We can make all of those changes. But like you said, if they're in an abusive relationship, they're not going to get healing. If they're in a, a bad place mentally or spiritually, they're probably not, you know, they're not going to get the healing that they need. And I think what, again, frustrates me when someone would look at you or my perspective and consider us so fringe and just having such, like your friends said, an ax to grind. I think oh my gosh, it's the opposite. I want to honor the entire person, the entire dignity of this person in front of me. I don't want to compartmentalize their emotional state and suggest that it's just some wacky imbalance. I feel like what we're doing is honoring the complexity of the human experience and wanting to truly wrap around that individual so many of the elements that they may have let go by the wayside in the hustle and bustle of busy life. Maybe they haven't tended to their emotional health, their spiritual health, their relationship health. And I get it. Life's hard. You know, they had bills to pay and they've got a degree to get. So I feel that our approach is honoring the dignity of the human spirit and And I think, you know, so when people come at us like, well, they're just edgy and crabby about big pharma and the money. I'm like, yes, we are. And I don't know why that's a bad thing. (laughs) I hear what you're saying. And I also believe that it honors the way God designed us because we are threefold beings. 
we have a physical being and we have our spiritual being and we have a soul. And I believe that caring for that, if you truly want to help someone, you're, you are going to care for all of that. I couldn't agree more. And I, and then it gets back to what are other people doing? I do believe most physicians who take a more Western traditional, at least American traditional approach and trajectory, they started out wanting to be healers. They truly did. And then they get caught up in the industry of it all. And as you mentioned and alluded to earlier, their hands are tied at times, I would imagine. And at the same time, I wonder, do they start becoming brainwashed or I don't know if that's the right word, but do they start becoming believers that that really is the only approach that's valid? I don't know, but it is really troubling. It is troubling. And even uh, in the naturopath world, we do have doctors that have like that, they want to be white coats, you know? So they they leave Mm. this holistic model and they try to practice the way, you know, allopaths do. And I just feel like there's a story in the Bible, Esther, and she says, for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. And I believe that doctors like you and I, in this day and age, we have this mindset and we are here in this time for such a time as this. I don't believe that there is any other time that we've lived in where people are so desperate to get away from that Western medicine model that unfortunately is keeping people ill. Yeah. And so with my patients, we celebrate victories. Like if if we, we start on stages, right? If someone can get off of their PPIs or their acid inhibiting drugs, that's a victory. And if someone can, can get off of their cholesterol medication and their blood pressure medication, those are victories. I have people come to me after they are fed up with this whole other healthcare system and they are really at a point in their life where they're like, what else do I have to lose? I'm not getting the help that I need. So they're willing to try something else. And we make great strides when we can pull people off of these pharmaceutical medications just one at a time and restore their health. It's so encouraging and empowering, and I I so appreciate the work you do, and I hope that people can see that it is an effort to be honoring the the whole individual, and it's to me, it's empowering. I never understood why someone, which is another reason I really resist diagnoses, I don't know why someone would want to say, well, I have this, I have depression, I hate the, right. I hate the language, don't right. own it. Don't own it. It's a season. You're human. You're grieving. Or, I mean, I went through so many breakups. My audience knows my story. Yes, I was depressed after I dated a guy for two years in my 30s and I thought he, we were going to get married and then we didn't. I mean, that's right. depressing. You had a, a hope and, and a belief and you built a future in your mind with this person. To take away the dignity of having a legitimate emotion, to medicalize that emotion and say that there's some imbalance it's just, that's so right. dishonoring of a human being. And so I hope people can understand that our approach is truly trying to underscore 
what it means to be human and to empower. I really resist. Okay, so I play tennis. And um, a couple of years ago, and I play piano and I had three cats at the time. So there were many things that were happening to my forearm mm. that ended up getting diagnosed mm-hmm. as tennis elbow, essentially, right? And it's um, some right. sort of inflammation there too. It's an itis. I can't remember the term of it. But even then, I remember telling myself, I don't have tennis elbow. I currently have some inflammation that I'm learning. I went to um, an occupational therapist and learned some stretches and, and it's much better now. It was important to me to not say, well, my tennis elbow. Now that may seem like a little thing, but to me as a as someone who resonates with cognitive mm-hmm. approaches, I'm not going to say in my head all day long, I have this illness right. or I have this disease. I will not right. own it. It troubles me that so many people are quick to be like, oh, and I get that a label can sometimes be comforting. Someone goes, oh wait, other people have had this experience. They know how to treat it there's a prognosis that can be encouraging. But for someone who as a psychologist wants to look at empowering an individual to step into and thrive into the very best life, I don't see running around all day saying, I have this and I have that. I don't think that helps anything. It does define who they are. They do allow it to define who they are. Yes. Uh, We see this with chronic disease, right? Chronic disease, which like you, the diagnosis is not what's important here. That's not what is important. You know, if someone says I've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's or hypothyroid or whatever, well, I mean, to me, that's that's a label. You can adopt that label if you want to, but this is not really what the problem is. So let's fix the real problem. Right. But a lot of people, they get diagnosed with one thing or another, and it literally, they allow it to define who they are. I cannot do this because I'm X, Y, Z. I believe that it keeps people down. It does not allow people to live to their fullest potential while they have these labels on them. Absolutely. And my dissertation, I my study was on individuation from family of origin and identity development. So I delved into the identity literature quite a bit and I came to that conclusion. So it was another facet of my understanding of why I am not a fan of running around slapping labels and diagnoses on people and thinking that you've helped them. (laughs) How is that helpful? And I, and as you know, from my work and my community on Instagram, there's a lot of the relationship diagnoses now. And I have a lot of the women just this week, we did an episode on anxious attachment and it's a useful model to understand maybe some of the patterns that you've experienced. But I, in my community, they, they really resonate with that term. And I think, are you anxiously attached or are you just getting excited about the possibility of this relationship with someone? And, and so he hasn't texted today and you're like, oh shoot, I hope he texts. I really want this relationship to continue. That's not anxious attachment. That's just, you're excited. It's just normal. Like I just resist the, the pathologizing of every bit of life. But again, then it, it, it's all understood. If you see that our our big business culture and big pharma, the more that we run around giving ourselves diagnoses and then looking for that pill to fix things, it all makes sense when you look at it through that lens. Right. We live our lives under our medical persona. This is our medical... <laughs> it, it actually... We end up living our lives like I remember this whenever I was suffering from autoimmune disease, right? I had a list Mm -hmm. of them, rheumatoid arthritis, interstitial cystitis, fibromyalgia, 
you can't help but to live under this umbrella of, is this who I'm going to be for the rest of my life? I remember I was so miserable. I, I was sitting in a church service on a Wednesday night and I, I literally prayed and I said, Lord, if this is how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life, if this is how I'm going to be for the rest of my life, because I did not see any light at the end of that tunnel, you can just take me now because I am not going to be any good to anyone, not my husband, not my children, no one. And it was just shortly thereafter that I found natural medicine. But those thoughts, those are some dark thoughts. Yes. I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. I'm 26 years old and I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. And incidentally, that doctor that I asked, you know, what can you do for me without giving me a pill? She told me, well, you'll be in a wheelchair in 10 years. So here we are, you know, 13 years later, and I've never been in in a better state of health in my whole life. But had I let that continue, there is a good possibility I may have been in a wheelchair. But I, I didn't allow that, you know, after I sought another way, I knew that I did not have to hold on to those diagnoses. They just didn't define me. I love that. And I love that whatever part of you that was able to, even in the midst of that excruciating pain and all kinds of problems with autoimmune, which I know is, is so brutal. And so many people are experiencing that to some degree. I love that you were able to somehow, even in the midst of that, you hung on to the idea that there was a different way. And again, it's not like naturopathic approaches are available to most people unless they tend to hang out at the health food store. Like people right. don't even know. They don't. People don't even know. So whatever little word from God that was giving you that belief that there was another approach that was available to you. It, I'm, I'm so glad that you believed in that and hung on to it and started moving in that direction. I, I am too. It, uh, you know, not only for myself, but for my family and for those that we have been able to help since then. I don't feel like there are coincidences. I don't believe those exist. I believe that people should find their purpose in life. And uh, my purpose was to, you know, fulfill whatever God's purpose was for me here and then to help people along the way. For me, outside of that is just emptiness. It's vanity. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's a really, it's a remarkable story. And I'm so glad that you've been able to help so many people. Those of you who've been listening to Love and Life for a bit will remember my interview with Liz Forkin Bohannon, the creator of Seiko Designs. Seiko provides employment and educational opportunities for women in Uganda. And since that time, I've made it a point to try to buy gifts for my friends that have a dual purpose, something I know my friends will love that also empowers a woman here or abroad. If you'd like to join me and get a jump start on your Christmas shopping, head over to my Instagram page where I'll be sharing the link to join my Seiko shopping party. It wraps up on November 8th, so you've got a week to participate. Thank you so much. I split up my conversation with Dr. Lipford into two parts because obviously we had a lot to talk about. Join us next week in part two, where we discuss big pharma and COVID-19. You won't want to miss this. The love and life hack for this week is 
We're not just a mind. There's our body, our spirit, our soul. There's so much to us, so much more to us than just a diagnosis. Thanks as always for joining us today. I hope you're inspired to think more broadly and holistically about mental health. Be sure to catch next week's episode in which Dr. Lipford and I share thoughts about Big Pharma and COVID-19. If you haven't grabbed your free Empower Dating Playbook, you can do so at loveandlifemedia.com. There, you can also sign up for the next Love and Life support group. We have just two spots left, and the group will be rolling out in the next couple weeks. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson Averill, and until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen anderson Abram.